And without further adieu, let's talk to Margo Black. Margo Black, you there? Good morning. I'm here. Good morning, Jefferson. Good morning to you. Who are you and why are you running? Uh, well, I'm Margo Black, and I'm running for Portland City Council seat two. I am a single mom, a community organizer, longtime um, a tenants' rights organizer. I founded, uh, co-founded Portland Tenants United in 2015. Um, I'm I'm running for a lot of reasons, but really to bring a voice to regular folks. I'm a I'm a renter. I'm a cost burden renter in the city of Portland, and I'm somebody who, you know, throughout my life has fallen through the cracks and um, I think more now than ever we uh, the cracks are exposed and I I want to give voice to the people who live in them um, so that we have some real solutions on the table and we don't go back to the old normal that wasn't working for so many folks. Margo Black's friend of the show how are you doing by the way how are you holding up through all this? Uh yeah good thank you for asking I mean it's you know, I, I don't know how to answer that question. I'm glad that my kids are healthy and I'm healthy. We're staying in and um, my kids are climbing up the wall and homeschooling is hard. Uh, campaigning from behind a computer screen is if they start climbing really on the, hard. If they climb on the ceiling, then you know it's a horror movie. As long as yeah. it's the wall, <laughs> then I think it's just the coronavirus. I'm climbing up the walls. <laughs> Mixing metaphors, yeah. Um but yeah, we're doing all in all, we're doing okay. And the um, uh, campaign is going really well. And, um, you know, I think we're just feeling the same way everybody else is and kind of waiting and wondering for what the future holds. And uh, I know as a tenant rights person and co chair of Portland Tenants United, um, lot of anxiety about what folks are going through um, with rent and utilities that are climbing uh, up because everybody's home with their kids all day and and uh, you know problems with the unemployment system and I feel like you know Portland Tenants United because it's sometimes like a 911 um, for tenants and it it's pretty intense right now so so good, stick with but, that stick uh, with that for a moment I heard you say a couple things already I heard you say I, something that that maybe not everybody's been sufficiently aware of, particularly for people who for whom they're uh, they're you know they're, they don't have extra money at the end of each month, uh, having one's water bill and electrical bill go up because you're using more electricity and water that can matter. The other thing you said uh, was obviously there's job questions and there's tenant questions. What are the and and rent questions? Uh, what are some other ways you're hearing? from your members that this is impacting renters and, and people at the edge? Besides the utilities and the... It doesn't have to be more, but I just want to give you more space yeah. for it if there's more. Yeah, well, um, I mean, one of the things we're hearing is that because we have the eviction moratorium, um, which does, you know, protect folks from being evicted right now for not being able to pay the rent, something we were... Our, this was already on our radar with the new rent control bill that passed in 2019 that limits no causes and, and rent increases. Once you kind of, um, once you make it harder for a, a landlord to, you know, kick, kick somebody out or, or raise the rent, then they, uh, and, and we know this from, you know, a hundred years of rent control, or maybe not a hundred years, but uh, in other cities, 
that, that we start to see a lot of different um, bullying, harassment, intimidation, and tactics that um, kind of cause tenants to self-evict. We call it a constructive eviction, and we're seeing a lot of that. Uh, we're seeing a lot of 9.9% rent increases. Those literally started, like, March 23rd, the day after the governor um, put in her eviction moratorium order. Maybe that was the, yeah, that was the governor's eviction moratorium. I'm like, what, you know, read the room, guys. Like, who thinks that, that now is the time to raise the rent by 9.9% when so many folks are losing their jobs and have no idea if they will get back to work? And you think and, they're doing that to uh, do construction eviction, constructive evictions, or do you think they're doing, and or do you think they're doing that because, heck, I really think this apartment building that I purchased and refurbished ought to get a 25% rent increase, but I better start doing my almost 10 now if I'm going to try to catch up. Well, funny you mention that. You know, the, I just heard about somebody in an apartment that is slightly less than 15 years old um, in Tigard, and they got a 30% rent increase. Um, uh, I think that uh, it's never time to raise the rent by 10%, Jefferson. I mean, um, I, I, do, I do understand the purchased and refurbished, but... I just think that we shouldn't be in an economy where you buy someone's, you know, the home that they're living in and uh, and then turn around and give them a 10% increase yeah. in the bill to live there. Like that, you know, if that's what it costs for you to buy and remodel, then the price is too high. I mean, I, it just shouldn't, you know, when you've got folks, I guess let me ask you this. I mean, the, the market's got to correct, right? I mean, we've been told, um, you know, since I at least started banging on the drums about this five years ago when the rents were going up by, you know, two, three, four, five hundred dollars $500, sometimes double, um, we were told, well, this is what the market will bear. And, and you, know, you know, nobody's entitled to live in Portland. If you can't pay it, then get a better job or move away but this is what the market will bear well i don't think the market is going to bear the market rents we have right now not with so many folks unemployed um and uh and other expenses you know going up along with those like utilities that i mentioned and, and groceries too i mean uh for the folks who are staying home with their kids all day uh you know everybody is preparing a lot more food too i mean everything is kind of going up uh, and and people aren't working. I mean, what what is the market going to bear? I mean, when are we going to see a market correction down? You know, at what point do the, do tenants just say, look, you know, I can afford this much uh, and take it or leave it, but if I move out, you're not going to be able to rent it for what you used to either. And it's that's seems to be a real disconnect. You know, I mean. The landlords who are sending these threatening letters and, you know, we heard you got your stimulus check and are you going to pay that for rent? We saw one landlord send a, a spreadsheet out to their tenant and said, we want you to track all your expenses and give us your expenses for your last two months and we'll make sure that you really can't afford your rent you know? <laughs> and, and that you're, you're spending your money responsibly. It wasn't even like we want to see the money coming in the door. We want to see what you're spending it on and then give you advice about how to budget better to pay the rent. Like we're not lying, guys. You know, <laughs> we're not like sitting on piles of money that we're just refusing to hand over because Corona came to town. Like these are folks who couldn't pay the rent, you know, every month 
without you know before coronavirus because it was already too high yeah my guess uh, is a lot of people would think that raising rent right now feels absurd there is i think a a real question now if you've got uh with the rent moratorium with the eviction moratorium excuse me and folks don't pay their rent then Mm -hmm. the highly leveraged landlord still has Mm -hmm. bills to pay to the bank is there anything that needs to happen upstream on the financing side and i know your job is not to be the advocate for uh for the landlord and at the same time, well, I, what are they know, up against? As I, I mean, I'm running for city commissioner, and I, um, I, you know, I do, I do feel like my priority is is renters. But I, I think that it, you know, the different job than co-chair of Portland Tenants United, and and uh, and talking about upstream issues is, you know, will be part of the job. Um, but of course, of course, you're absolutely right. I, I'm not, I'm not uh, suggesting that. All landlords are just, you know, swimming in seas of cash. And um, of course, I understand that for bigger outfits, multi-family outfits, you know, there's property managers to pay, there are maintenance uh, people and and costs to pay. Um, and but the so biggest expense just is just the note. I mean, the biggest expense is if well, you got you got seventy five percent owned to the bank. So, so yeah, I mean, personally, Jefferson, I feel like the the banks ultimately are the ones that need to take the, the hit here all around you know I mean it's we are all over leveraged um, because of, of the banks ultimately and so uh, I there are various forms of mortgage uh, relief out there and I know um, that they are not uh, panaceas well, here's what I think we should be focusing on I think that we should be um, Focusing on creating, well, okay, I, I sort of have two ideas, but one ultimately is that we should make um, housing vouchers an entitlement program, and uh, and I don't mean just that the people who qualify for them get them, but that nobody pays more than 25 to 30 percent of their income and in rent. I, I say 25 to 30 because I'm not settled on the 30% metric, but we'll say 30. Um, and, that, you know, everybody gets a, a voucher. And if your job pays enough that you're, you don't need to use the voucher, that's great. And if your income is, is below that level, then uh, the voucher kicks in and, and pays the rest. Um, and so if your income is zero, for example, the voucher would, would pay your rent. Um, but this isn't going to happen um, this isn't going to be possibly financially viable or sustainable at scale um, without, you know, from taxpayer money, uh, without there being kind of some downward pressure on the prices. And so what does it look like, just for example, to go to these landlords right right now and say, okay, look, we're going to give every single one of your tenants a voucher and you're going to get your rent every single month like clockwork you're not going to have to worry about it. You're not going to have to deal with your tenants. Um, but we're not going to let you charge more than HUD uh, says is fair market value, you know, um, the, the HUD FMRs. Um, you know, like, what is it going to take for us to kind of get into a relationship like that where we say, you'll get your rent on time every month, but, sh- but we're not going to subsidize egregious profits? Um, 
And that's kind of related to my uh, kind of companion idea, and that is that um, that whatever assistance becomes available um, for the, you know, in recognition that there are a lot of folks who aren't going to be able to pay rent and a lot of landlords who are going to be very, very negatively impacted by that, instead of uh, renters going and um, proving that they can't afford the rent um, and individually getting checks for the you know full amount of the rent to hand over to their landlord, what if the landlords go and apply and prove that you know they do the means testing um, and prove that they um, you know that they are over leveraged that they don't you know have some money tucked away in a savings account the way that they assume we do um, and and to, I mean to be clear I know that there are lots and lots and lots of landlords who are in that category I'm not. Uh, and um, and they get direct assistance from the government, but to cover operational expenses, not to cover, not to subsidize profits. You know, they're the 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 place I live in, for example, is fully fully paid off. I'm just on the top floor of my landlord's house that she lives in one or two months a year when she comes here from Colorado to camp on the beach with her friends. She lives in the downstairs ADU. So the $1,800 a month, and I have a $150 rent increase coming due, that I pay her is, um, you know, it's just, I'm not going to say it's just profit. I know that there are expenses, but she has, you know, the, the, the house is paid off. It's been paid off for years. Um, and I don't think that taxpayers should be subsidizing that when we're all being asked to take a hit, you know. I mean, we have... We've shut down businesses across the state, and those business owners um, have to, you know, are, are being asked to take huge losses. And basically, if they don't have money in reserves to bail themselves out, then they may never open back up. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying too bad landlords if you don't have money in reserves. It's just, it's just that it's just the reality, you know. Like, should we move? The well should Portland dry, move in the, the direction? The dams are going to break, you know. <laughs> Should Portland move in the direction of public banking? I sure hope so. I mean, that's, I think that's what we absolutely need to see. That I mean, why why are we in this kind of extractive, exploitative uh, situation where really it is the banks at the you know at the top of the stream, uh, and and public banking alleviates so much of that and. So I hope so. I, I, I mean, I, I think public banking is a no-brainer, and I'm not sure why What's we're not the already there. But I, I do know that there are constitutional issues that we need, you know, some leadership on. Either explain those, to... explain those constitutional issues, or explain what else is in the way. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, well, Jefferson, this isn't this isn't an issue that I have a lot of content depth on it, so I wouldn't want to. Uh, I wouldn't want to. Um, speak uh, on something that I'm not an expert on. Um, but I know that there has. I mean, I, I've talked to Jamie Duhamel and Chloe Daly's office. I know that they've done a lot of research on this and have run into barriers at the state level. And then, and any constitutional changes that need to be made need to be made at the ballot. And that is a, a heavy, it's a heavy lift. But we need some leaders to get it done. If you and Chloe both win. I, I, People are starting to ask me. It's an interesting year. There's so many candidates, including a lot of wonderful people who are running for office. And I've gotten more texts than usual from folks saying, hey, Jeff, 
how are you thinking about the races? And I've been genuinely <laughs> trying not to make a decision about the races because I don't want it to impact the way I interact and the way that I ask questions. The mm -hmm. uh, One of the things that somebody asked me about, well, was the following. If Margo and Chloe, and they were predisposed to like both of you, if Margo mm -hmm. and Chloe both win, will the city tilt too strongly anti-landlord and anti-property owner? Or is that a dumb question? Well, I'm not anti-landlord and anti-property owner. I'm just, I'm pro-housing stability. And personally, I work with lots of landlords, property owners. I have, uh, I have developers and realtors who, you know, support me and give to my campaign. But these are, you know, landlords, property owners, uh, developers, and, and realtors who have seen the very, very, very real <clears throat> consequences of a very unregulated and exploitative and, and extract, extractive system. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I often get uh, caricatured as being like anti-landlord or I think all landlords are evil. Actually, I have a lot of really good friends and family members who are landlords. Um, and I'm really, it's, it's really not about being anti-anything. It's about being pro housing security. Um, I think a much, much bigger concern for folks, though, is that Chloe could potentially not win her seat, and I could not win. And um, and I think that that is, will, will be devastating. I think it'll be devastating for the groundswell of, like, regular folks who thought, you know, felt like they had a, a voice and a person in City Hall for them for the very first time. But it's more than just the, the empowerment of feeling that way. Um, I mean, there are there are ways this, that the dust could settle that make me very concerned that RELO could be repealed. And make no mistake about it, you know, if Chloe, if Chloe loses and I don't win, um, you know, of course uh, Joanne cares very much about tenants' rights, but it's not, it's not her issue. You know, when I go to City Hall and say, hey, um, we need to uh, regulate rent uh, or late fees, you know, right now, it's, like just just low hanging fruit right now they're unregulated um and i see you know if you're a dollar short on your rent by the fifth of the month i'm, I'm seeing late fees as high as 175 dollars a month now they're they're it's not illegal it's not legal to charge them right now during the moratorium but in general this is a huge poor tax and when i go to eviction court with somebody i'll see them owing almost 1500 dollars or more a month just in back late fees um, because they get their paycheck consistently on the 5th and not on the 4th, for example. Um, but I go to City Hall and I say, hey, let's do this. And, you know, Joanne's office says, talk to Chloe's office. And Chloe's office says, we've got too much in the cooker. Um, but it's but the point is, is that it's Chloe's office who is sort of counted on to do that. Joanne's got, uh, you know, her own um, agenda and has always been supportive on tenants' rights. But she's not, it's not, it's not the primary champion. got elected to do. And I, you know, I think that uh, this is not the time to to act like the issue has been we've done all we can do um, or treat it like it's a niche issue. It's not a niche issue. We're 50 percent of Portland and, uh, you know, the, the, the housing issues that I concern my with, I concern myself with are huge drivers of racial inequality, of um, of you know, climate injustice, of economic inequality, of the wealth and income gap, of, um, you know, like housing stability touches everything. I mean, I don't think anyone really appreciates the 
transformative power of stable housing. You said that just, you were worried that there was a way that things should shake, could shake out, that the relocation mm-hmm. fee that's been uh, now passed in Portland uh, could mm-hmm. be eliminated. Who are city councilors, who are candidates, excuse me, for city council that oppose the relocation fee or that you're most nervous about? Well, nobody is coming out and publicly saying they oppose reload. That would be political suicide, I think. But uh, Mingus Maps is um, is waving the flag of the uh, realtor endorsement, and um, the you know that it's not a secret that PMAR, the, the realtors, um, really they hate Chloe, they hate me, they hate reload, they hate fair. <laughs> Um, and they have a lot, a lot of power in City Hall, and they've had a lot of temper tantrums over the last few years. Define uh, the fair. Power so I, I think people, I think mm-hmm. people understand the relocation cost. Was it five grand that if mm-hmm. you if you get uh, kicked out of your place, you got to get some money to uh, to find another place, or at least your moving expenses, roughly speaking. Uh, explain fair. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I just, I just didn't hear the last thing you said. I what? just said explain fair. Explain. You said they don't oh, like fair. fair. Oh, okay, great, yeah. So fair was, was really two pieces of legislation. One uh, limits the amount of the security deposit that they can charge and makes it a lot, uh, it, it introduces a lot of accountability um, on getting it back at the end. And that piece wasn't hugely controversial. The other piece has to do with when you're applying for an apartment or house, um, what information can they ask you for and what information can they hold against you when making the decision to approve and deny? And, um, and there, were, there are a lot of different pieces of this. It's ultimately about trying to make access to housing more equitable. Like we know that people of color are consistently, systematically discriminated against, systematically and, and explicitly. We know that uh, uh, people with disabilities, um, single parents, or you know, people with children in general, um, all really struggle just to get approved to move into a place for a lot of different reasons. One of those are you know, screening criteria. A huge reason is the income ratio being required to make three times the amount. Understood. Of it's the about rent. criteria. So and yeah, we only got we don't have that many minutes. background credit. So it it lowers all of those barriers considerably got to. It. And basically give people a, an opportunity to show that they are more than their criminal background check or their credit report. Thank and you. the landlords lost their minds over this. I, I mean, I... It, we I have not too many minutes, so a couple other questions. Margo, Mar- Mar- I have not too many minutes, and there's other questions I want to try to get to if we have time. Mm-hmm. The Any other Cantor City Council making you nervous on the stuff you've been fighting for for the last several years? Um... No, uh, I mean, I, I guess I would, I worry about Dan Ryan if he wins my seat. Um, he has been using some, some code language that makes me really, really worried that he would, uh, does not hold sacred any of the stuff that we have fought for and won. Um, I, I haven't heard uh, anything reassuring from him on, on housing at all. And when I suggested tax the rich, he said uh, no class warfare and he said that the reason he's running is because when Nick Fish died that was when the last grown-up left the building and I think that shows you what he thinks about the rest of his colleagues and what he thinks about the work they've done um, and I you know Chloe often gets a really bad rap for 
moving the chi in City Hall in terms of the power imbalance between regular folks and the landlord and realtor lobby, for example. And I think that there are quite a few people running to uh, restore that power. And um, there's there's a lot of a lot of code words that come from different candidates, and Dan Ryan is one I'm I'm concerned about. And, any candidates who've been running who've inspired you in any in any way? Anybody who's been pushing on stuff in ways that you've admired? Um, no, I. It's, it's, that's a really great question, Jefferson, because I, you know, I I've been very myopic about you know my campaign and my race. Um, uh, <clears throat> you know, I and Chloe just continues to inspire in terms of her being fairly unapologetic about. Uh, you know the the stuff that she is getting done and what it's going to take to get it done. Um, uh, Sarah, I'm very inspired by Sarah, and I'm and I'm oh I'm sorry, and I'm very inspired by Philip Wolf and by Candace Avalos. Um, I just you know young folks running for office really 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 inspires me. Philip Wolf's candidacy um, is really inspiring. And which I think race? He's really really moved the message. He's deaf. Uh, uh, he's really moved the um, the. Uh, mess, what am I trying to say? <laughs> Move the needle on um, accessibility in City Hall and on accommodations. And you said Sarah, presumably you met Sarah Anarone running for mayor. Yes, Sarah Anarone running for mayor. Um, I mean, she's just been running a really powerful campaign, and uh, you know, a lot of people don't uh, are not inclined to take her seriously for a lot of different reasons. And then she, you know, she just keeps pushing and she's really earned her spot as a front runner and as a very serious contender for male uh, mayor um and i just you know she comes from a real similar background that i do and i think anytime you know women who um you know we we watch what's going on we participate we give input and we see that we would be more effective and be able to do things you know in a really fresh uh, and smart way than um, are being done, and then deciding to you know to take that next step. I mean, so many people tell me uh, how brave it is for me to to run for office, and how they could never do it, and how much work it is, and and it really uh, it really is um, a pretty intense experience. And for her to be running for mayor, and she's twice taken on Ted Wheeler, and she's she's very fearless, and she's very 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 smart, and um, she just doesn't let people tell her that uh, that you know it can't be done, and I that, I find that really inspiring. How would City Council, and we're about to have to wrap, but how would City Councilor Margot be different than activist Margot? <laughs> Besides uh, Margot getting a paycheck, <laughs> yeah, you'd be better paid. No. City, okay, no question. <laughs> Um, no, I, I mean, the reason that I'm running is because I think City Council Margot would be more effective. Uh, you know, I've been a commissioner on the Rental Services Commission for the last five years. Or, I'm sorry, no, for the last two or three years. Um, and I've seen how much we uh, don't do, what conversations we don't have, what tools we don't put on the table, because we just lack the political courage or will to have those conversations, put those tools on the table. And I have found that as a activist Margot, um, I, I, it takes a lot of work for me to try to open up those conversations and put those tools on the table. Um, very, very limited success. 
um, depending on the conversation and the tool, and with a lot of political consequences. I mean, I get, I, I, I have been politically punished for trying to start those conversations. And I think being a city commissioner puts me in a, just a better position to, um, to have this. One of the things I'll do, Jefferson, I'm going to bring ordinances to the floor, even if I don't have the votes for them to pass, um, so that we can have conversations in front of the public about uh, why we need this. And, you know, for the votes, for the folks who are voting no, they need to say that out loud, what, you know, what their concerns are and why they're voting no. There are so many things that are all fully baked behind closed doors. And then the public gets so frustrated that we've like never even tried X or won't even talk about Y. And sure, those conversations are happening. They're just being squashed before they can see the light of day because we can't get the, you know, the mayor or Commissioner Fritz to, to, to bring us to three votes. And so we just don't even have a conversation. So a city council with Marco Black just means a lot more transparency and accountability about what the city, you know, could be doing, should be doing, um, and isn't. You know, there's so much there's so much business as usual, or it's just the way we've always done it, or that's too much work, or too hard, or it'll piss somebody off. And, and we have had a chance to talk um, again, which is why I've enjoyed and appreciated your candor and kind of talking about the whole landscape. And we do need to wrap in a sec. But what's the next mm-hmm. thing? What's the next big move? Whether you win or lose, maybe it's more maybe it's more important. What would be the next big move if you win? Your biggest priority? What you would push that you worry would not get pushed if you don't win? <clears throat> well, if I win, I, I mean I know that's highly unlikely. But if I win outright in May, like in a couple weeks, I will be a city commissioner before June first, and my first order of business will be to introduce an ordinance that enacts local rent control um, and freezes the rent, and then we can also, uh, you know, explore some of the tools that I've talked about and some other mechanisms to put some downward pressure on on the prices. Um, and the mayor's uh, opinion is that we don't have the legal authority to do that. Um, I think we've done a lot of things that we in the last couple months that we don't necessarily have the legal authority to do. Um, let the landlords sue, you know. Let them uh, take us to court and make the case that they should be able to raise rents by 10%. And let Governor Brown um, watch that play out. And at any moment, she could just chime in and be like, oops, yep, sorry, forgot to mention we can't raise the rents by 10% during this crisis, or sit around and do nothing about it. You know, but let's get the clarity about when local jurisdictions can and can't enact emergency rent control that the legislature let us do. So that, you know, that'll be a top priority, but really revenue for me. Um, I'm I am resisting uh, the call for you know massive budget cuts, huge um, huge cuts to services and jobs and programs. I think this is when we need to be where should the revenue come expanding from? Expanding the public sector, and we need to tax the rich in a lot in in several different ways. What's your favorite way? Um, well, I like uh, I, I'm really really inspired by what Shama is is pushing for in Seattle, the Amazon corporate payroll tax, but I've worked with a couple different economists who have some, you know, thoughts about the, the wisdom of doing that or how much revenue it would bring in. But I like the, I like the per head payroll tax and that's a payroll tax that employers pay 100%, not, uh, it's not split like social security. Um, I, I think that now's the time to talk about a vacancy tax. I talked with your French foreign correspondent, Timothy Marcroft, who gave me a really, really great, 
idea for the way we would implement that that gets around all of the hurdles that the city has bumped into in, in terms of administration and um, compliance and collection, and that is that it's just a tax that is on every single unit in the city of Portland, but you are exempt from that tax if you can prove that it's occupied by a renter or an owner for um, you know, some and, and basically some period the, of basically the disincentivize land banking. Margot Black, yeah, thank, I mean, yeah. thank you so much for spending the time. Where can people find out more? VoteMargot.com, and that's M-A-R-G-O-T, so VoteMargot.com. Um, and uh, right now I have the most individual donors. I have 100 more than my closest competitor. I've raised about half as much money because I'm a people-powered, publicly-financed candidate. Um, but I really, uh, you know, I think I've, the, the regular folks who have never, uh, given to a candidate before are um, are are supporting me and uh, and I, I think you know my message is is resonating. Uh, if you want to vote for somebody who isn't going to steer the ship back to the old normal, that uh, there is a lot of um, a lot of calls to do, then um, then I'm your girl. Margot Black, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you so much, Jefferson. Thanks for having me. Stay safe.